0: How's everybody doing this morning? Yeah, everybody doing all right? Happy Father's Day. Uh, How many of you guys have ever felt like your life was cursed? Now, we're not just talking about like a bad day. You know, I I saw a picture that said, was it a bad day or was it a bad five minutes that you milked all day? You know, we, we know what that's like. Some of us have had a string of bad events. It's like someone had a voodoo doll and they gave it to the devil to play with. If you didn't have bad luck, you wouldn't have any luck. The kid's book, Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day, could be an autobiography of your life. My wife and I just celebrated 16 years of marriage. So we decided to get away for the weekend Now, you know the kind of year that we've had, if you've been around here for any length of time. My wife falling down and breaking her ankle in three places just after we paid off her medical bills. My suffering a malfunction of the electrical signal to my heart so that it goes up and down like the stock market. Well, even without all the letdowns that won't let up, my wife lives in a household full of boys. Everyone say, ew. She feels like Smurfette. The only girl in a village of boys. When I was younger, I always wondered, did Smurfette look at that as a blessing or a curse? Think about their names. Grouchy Smurf, Clumsy Smurf, Lazy Smurf, Sloppy Smurf. If they were on a dating app, you would swipe left. (laughs) So I think she probably looked at them as a curse. My wife loves her boys, though, but we're boys. This was my beard just before we left for our little vacay. I look like a Civil War (laughs) reenactor. My wife needed a break. Now, neither of us can do a whole lot because of our conditions. We can't walk very far. We can't do very many activities. So we brought our Apple box with us so we could watch romantic comedies together. Of course, it didn't work. (laughs) We tried over and over again, but could not get it to work. To which we said, if we were Jerome and Donna, not only would it work, but there would be a $100 credit on it. And Steve Jobs would come back from the dead to troubleshoot it for us. But it's us and not Jerome and Donna. (laughs) Have you ever felt like that? Like if something can go wrong, it's just going to go wrong because it's your life. Listen to some of Paul's words. He's describing his life as a missionary and I'm going to leave out a few key words to make a point. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 through 9. We are hard-pressed on every side, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. How many of you are wanting to change careers and hit up the missions field based on that job description? Probably not too many. Here's what Paul actually says. We fill in the blanks. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed. But not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. I love the tension between honesty and hopefulness. Paul refuses to abbreviate his experience. I love that phrase. He refuses to abbreviate his experience. I think sometimes as Christians, we think that faith means ignoring our problems, pretending that they're not there, and to sing like the Lego movie everything is awesome. Our paragraph often looks like this. We are not crushed, not in despair, not abandoned, not destroyed. It sounds so optimistic, so TV evangelistic, but real faith sees both sides of the equation, tragedy and majesty, crown and cross, the good, the bad, the ugly. A winter Christian could never sing everything is awesome. They've been touched by pain and doubt, They don't resonate with cotton candy Christianity. They recoil at cliches like, I'm too blessed to be stressed. You can be both. The mature Christian sees the world and their life holistically. They're honest about the miracles and the disappointments. They celebrate their faith and they're honest about their doubts. They can be a Star Wars fan and admit that Jar Jar Binks was a terrible idea. 2 Corinthians 4.8, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. There's a famous scene in Star Wars where Luke gets stuck in a garbage compactor. The walls are caving in around him and his friends. Han Solo sarcastically says, one thing's for sure, we're all going to be a lot thinner after this. Thank you, Han Solo. That would be me if I were a Star Wars character. They try to use a pipe to stop the walls. They cry out for C-3PO to come to the rescue, but the calm is down. Eventually, R2-D2 shuts it down and saves the day. But it's just in the nick of time. If any of them were built like Jabba the Hutt, they would never have survived. Paul says his life feels like that. It's like the walls are closing in on him, that that opposition is coming from every side, but he goes on to say, I'm not crushed. Now, Now, this isn't just pastoral spin. He's not exaggerating to make the story a little more juicy. He's not bedazzling the point. Let's briefly look at one day from the life of Paul. He's arrested for sharing Jesus with others. That alone seems wrong. Then Paul's on a ship and it gets caught in a violent storm and sinks. He has to swim to shore. Thank God I've survived. Grabs some wood, goes to make a fire, snake jumps out, poisonous snake, but no, bites him. Are you kidding me? I survived the shipwreck. I swam to shore, and then I get bit by a snake. Where are you, God? On another occasion, Paul is preaching, and people stone him. Drag him outside of the city. They think he's dead. He gets back up, marches back into the same city. He is the Samuel L. Jackson of apostles. He's like, what's up now? (laughs) Paul knew all about bad days, feeling hard-pressed on every side, but he says he's not crushed. Why? What's his secret? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18 goes on to say, therefore, we do not lose heart. I want everyone to say that with me. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light, listen to how crazy this sounds. For our light, think about the days I just described in Paul's life. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul sees his problems as light and momentary. In the words of a poet, the mind can make a hell out of heaven or a heaven out of hell. A pastor by the name of Paul Peters wrote, If I have to live the rest of my life with cerebral palsy, that's fine. I've got all of eternity to live without it. What a humbling statement. While I was thinking about this, I wrote the following poem Do you ever feel like your life is cursed? From birth to hearse, you try to move forward, but stuck in reverse. You just got paid, but there's a hole in your purse. You prayed for a good day, but it went from bad to worse. You reach for the stars, but got a handful of dirt. Some are born with a silver spoon, but you were born with a plastic spork. You're running the race, but you're never in first. You had a great idea, but can't remember the words. Opportunity knocked, but you were stuck at work. It went to your neighbor's house, and he's a jerk with no shirt. You have that neighbor. He stays home and plays golf while you go to church. He lives the sweet life, while yours is no heaven on earth. But what if you're looking at life in reverse? Jesus was right that the last will be first. Jesus came to reverse the curse, to feed the poor and heal the hurt. Die on a cross showing your infinite worth. Your reward is not limited to this earth. For you are more than ashes and dirt if you keep your eyes on true north. Looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, where God will right every wrong and heal every hurt. You will forever enjoy the blessings of God because God took on humanity's curse. Paul learned to look at his pain through the lens of eternity. But that's not easy to do. Some days it feels like the world beats you like a piñata. And unlike a piñata, you don't always respond with sweetness. Anyone? Let me just give you a, a couple of examples from one day in the life of Dan. And this is what my life has been like lately. So let me just show you one day in the life of Dan. I went to go pick up ink for the church. There was supposed to be a $40 gift card that came with it. Cool. But as they rang it up, it kept charging me $40. To which the clerk says, I don't understand this. This never happens. We give these out all the time. You're the first." I kid you not, I had to leave without my $40 because they could not get it right. I leave there. I go to Kohl's. We needed a new bed topper. There's a spring sticking out of our mattress. I go in there, 50% off. I go up to the register, an extra 15% off. Praise the Lord, miracles are happening. As Paul, as David said, blessings of the Lord are following me all the days of my life swipe my card we need to make a call um mr stanford you're just shy of how much money you need to buy this topper so i leave and i go buy some gift cards for the graduates with the church's card not mine cuz i don't have enough money <laughs> i come home put it on the table my wife sees it on the table i see it on the table the kids see it on the table it's on the table Five minutes later, it's missing. Spontaneous combustion. We look all over. We're looking in places that there's no way it could have ended up, but we're looking there. Where is it? Well, it had been in a Starbucks bag. The dog thought it was food and took it and hid it in the corner where she eats in shame. Just after that, my four-year-old comes up to me says, Daddy, I made you a note. I get the, the note. He says, touch the button. I touch the button. Why does it feel like a booger? Because it is a booger. <laughs> One day, <laughs> it's hard to see life through the lens of eternity in moments like that. I find it easier to view God through the lens of my pain than my pain through the lens of God. I find it easier to see God through the lens of my pain than my pain through the lens of God. 2 Corinthians four eight through nine. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. I was at a coffee house when I wrote the following sentence. What is your greatest fear? As I wrote that sentence, the man behind me told someone over the phone that he had bedbugs. Instantly, I wanted to switch seats and felt itchy from nose to toes. I'm not sure that I've ever felt feared bedbugs, but I did in that moment. It was like that scene in Lego Batman when Alfred asked, what's your greatest fear? And he's like, clowns. No, it's snakes. No, it's, it's snake clowns. But before that guy rudely interrupted my time of reflection, my greatest fear is that I will become the villain of my own story. That is my greatest fear, that I will somehow shipwreck what God wants to do in me and through me that during this season of being hard-pressed, that I will be crushed, unlike Paul, that I will cave, that my character won't be quite enough, that I'll give in to temptation, that I'll fail the test, that I'll embarrass God. You see, unlike the comic books, it's rarely a catastrophic moment that that ruins us, but rather we are often corroded, slowly, soul-decaying over time. Over the past year, I have been less patient, and less gracious. My kids asked me if I should start smoking marijuana. I kid you not, and I'm not telling you this as a joke. They came to me and said, Dad, you are so stressed out. Now, it's pretty bad when someone thinks you need a little THC to go with your G-O-D. Dad, we love you, but we would like you if you were high. Now, the reason why is that because of my condition, I am on a steroid and it gives me major mood swings like the Hulk without his size. I'm happy one moment and then I'm throwing a mantrum the next. Now, I have always had a sky-high patience level, but now it's like instant 10. And you know how you can watch things unfold internally and it's almost like when you see that car accident happening and it's like, I want to stop that, but I just can't. That's how it's like every day where it's like, I don't want to be this guy. It's like autocorrect has hijacked my life. I try to type one thing, but it always comes out awkward and worse. I love you's come out as I loathe you. I start sounding more like my dad than my heavenly father. Paul says that the spiritual journey is supposed to be going from glory to glory. You ever read that? He neglected to tell us that the glory is like islands and a whole lot of ocean between this glory and that glory over there. It's so easy when you're feeling hard-pressed to be depressed, stressed, and the opposite of hashtag blessed. I feel like I'm in this third space. I don't want to sin, but I don't want to serve. I don't doubt God's presence, but I doubt God's presence. I don't want to give up, but I also don't want to go all out. I feel like I've had all the helium sucked out of me, and I imagine there's a demon somewhere that sounds like Mickey Mouse. I have to remind myself, don't do the devil's job. Don't do the devil's job for him. You see, when it comes to our house, we lock the doors. We install the security system. We equip our wife with a bat. I just know if they break in, she's got a much better chance of taking them out than I do. (laughs) But when it comes to our life, we often leave the door unlocked and sitting wide open. We make it easy for the devil. We go where we're most vulnerable. We hang out with the people who bring out the worst in us. We watch things we can't unsee. We neglect the weapons God has given us to fight temptation, and then we act surprised that we gave it. I don't know how this happened, Pastor Dan. Sometimes we suffer. Because we're doing what's wrong. Sometimes we suffer because we're doing what's right. One is punishment, the other's persecution. One's a spiritual spanking, the other's spiritual warfare. One requires surrender, the other requires standing firm. One means you're living like a fool, the other means that you're living for the fool, living to the fool, sorry. One means you're doing the devil's job, one means you're robbing the devil's stuff. You see, we all suffer. It's best to suffer for doing what's right because that suffering will be richly rewarded. Thank you, Eileen. <laughs> Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Because first service claps for us and second service doesn't. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. My four-year-old has just discovered the joys of a whoopee cushion. (laughs) He thinks the joke is on the person accidentally sitting on it. But the real joke is on the one who has to blow it up. You are putting your lips where someone just sat. (laughs) Think about it. Satan thought that crucifying Jesus meant the joke was on God. He just defeated God's plan A, and God had no plan B. All that God had worked towards for thousands of years, ending in a final breath of it is finished. But the real joke was on Satan, who just unknowingly defeated himself. Like wily Coyote, he sets the trap and then falls into it himself. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Eileen, I'm going to have to ask you to sit in front next time. (laughs) No weapon formed against you will prosper. And we see that beautifully in the cross. The very weapon used to try and defeat Christ ended up being the very weapon that set us all free. You see... Sometimes the weapons designed to destroy us are the very weapons that are used to prosper us. Paul's being shipwrecked and then bitten by a snake gave him a platform to lead several people to Christ. You have no idea what is on the other side of the season of testing in your life. What does God want to do with those weapons that are being used and formed to try and destroy you? I had another challenging moment this week. Surprise. My grandma moved to Texas. I grew up going to grandma's house. It didn't matter that grandpa's name was on the the deed, it's grandma's house. Grandma would carve the turkey, hand out gifts and show family slides. She would bake fresh bread and gather up your plate before you were done. Anyone have a grandma like that? We played spades and laughed until we cried. Grandpa would play old songs on his guitar. There was an adult table and the kids' table, which I sat at into my 30s. The place was packed. Grandpa opened his home to strangers. I still don't know if Uncle John is really my uncle. But this week, that tradition died. My grandpa died last year and my grandma just moved. The house now belongs to a stranger. It's the same house where I shared my final memories of my dad and my uncle. I just assumed the house would always be in the family. That the tradition would pass down from generation to generation. That grandma would always be in that chair with a hug and a prayer. I feel like I'm on a trapeze and I've let go, but I can't see the hands that I'm supposed to grab onto next. Friday night, we had prayer at the church and it was awesome. It was like a giant bear hug from God. I think Reese is how he described it. During prayer, Donna got up, and she says, I know Jerome is usually the one who who does this, but I just really feel impressed that God wants us as a church to pray for Pastor Dan, and I tried to run. Literally, I got up and started going the opposite direction. I hated it. I don't like attention. In fact, when I did that one message on Facebook about being beat like a pinata, that was 90% me being sarcastic, (laughs) And I got such a flood of people's responses. I said to myself, I'm never going on Facebook ever again. It's just, I don't like attention. I want to be the person praying for others. I don't want to be the one prayed for. I don't, like emotions. Like if I'm wearing a mood ring, it's going to be the same color all the time. You know, like if I was a shirt, they'd be like, Pastor Dan happy. Pastor Dan sad. Pastor Dan angry. It's all the same face, you know, but I'm sitting there, and Donna convinces everyone to come touch me with their germs. <laughs> and they all come over. I mean, like 50 people all come around, and like they're laying hands on me, and there's this holy moment, this breakthrough where I feel like God said to me, these are the hands that you're supposed to be reaching out to. And the church is supposed to be the place where we experience refuge, where we experience sanctuary, where we can go where our life feels cursed, where we're reminded that we're blessed because Jesus became a curse for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. That in this world you will have trouble. Trust in God, trust also in me. I will never leave you nor forsake you, that you will be hard pressed, that you will be surrounded by challenges and problems, but you will not be destroyed. Could anyone use some church? Real church? Where we come and we're encouraging, where we're praying, where we're challenging, where we can be real, where we can tell stories of my kids say, "I need to smoke marijuana because I'm so stressed out, and I don't have to worry about it. you guys emailing me later in the week. I can't believe you use the word marijuana." I at no point said, "Go smoke marijuana." I've never said that. I just said, "My life sucks so bad that they think I should. And yes, I just used the word "sucks." I'm sorry. but I want to be a place where we don't have to pretend, where we don't have to be fake, where we don't have to abbreviate our life, that we can come in and say, Pastor Dan, my fellow friends, my fellow family, it's been hard. It's not been easy. The letdowns won't let up. Can I lean into you? Can I trust you to be there for me? Can I I trust you to take me to God when when I'm like the man who's a paralytic and the four friends come around and they carry him up to the roof and they carve a hole in and they drop him down to Jesus? And then Jesus says, I'm going to heal him because of your faith, not because of his. He doesn't have any faith right now. He's too weak to get here by himself. But you, as the church, can carry him to me for me. Can we be that community? Can we be that place? Because that's the kind of church I want to go to. That's the kind of church I can be proud of. Not one that's perfect, but one that's real and knows the one who is perfect. Oh, that's good. I just made that up. (laughs) I'm gonna have to like re listen to that so I can write it down. (laughs) If you are struggling at all, don't struggle alone. I'll be up front. The prayer team will be up front. Come up and let's pray together. Let's take it to God together.